Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning from Mark 13. As he, Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand what you are about to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Good morning. On November 4th, 2010... Qantas Flight 32 took off from Singapore Airport, headed to Sydney, Australia. Four minutes into the flight, left engine number one exploded. When it blew up, it sent shrapnel through the left wing, tearing through hydraulic lines, through fuel lines, through control systems, and shrapnel tore all the way down the fuselage, tore holes, damaging more systems. There were five pilots on board. Two were there for training and three part of the crew. They quickly, as they looked around inside the cockpit, saw 54 error messages, lights flashing, error messages. They were overwhelmed by what they were seeing. All these systems were failing. They found out that 21 of the 22 major systems on the airplane had been damaged. 
They all five began to work on the protocols they'd been taught as pilots. As pilots, you look for what to fix. When this light goes off, then this is what you do to deal with that. And when this one and this one. But because there were so many systems that had been compromised, nothing was working. They worked for several hours trying to get this fixed. The plane was stable as it was flying, but they couldn't figure out what to do. All that they'd been taught didn't work. Finally, the captain, Richard de Crespigny is his name, had a thought. Apart from what he'd been taught, he thought, you know, maybe we should not focus on what's going wrong. <laughs> maybe we should see what still works. And he said what changed in his mind, what he began to think of is this was not the biggest jetliner in the world, an Airbus 380. This is a Cessna. I'm flying a Cessna and I've got simple controls and I've just got to pretend that's what I'm doing here. And as he began to fly the plane by feel and ignoring the flashing lights all around him, he managed to turn the plane around back to Singapore Airport and finally eventually was able to land it on the ground without brakes, without reverse thrusters. He was able to finally stop just before the end of the runway as fuel was pouring all over the tarmac. He saved nearly 500 lives on board that day. For many of us as believers today, I believe that as we're looking at the world around us and the crises in culture, morally, ethically, in the crises in leadership that we're facing all around us, it feels like the lights are going off. <laughs> Everything's going wrong. And we're not sure what to do. How do we fix this? How do we fix that? And it can be overwhelming for us as believers today. So what should we focus on? How do we get through this in a way that Jesus wants us to walk through the crazy mess that our world is in today? How should we live as believers? What should we expect in a world that is becoming more and more antagonistic to our Christian faith? What is God calling us to do? Well, in this passage today that Cynthia read in Mark chapter 13, 1 through 13, Jesus is preparing the disciples for what's coming. He is soon to go to the cross that very week and they'll be left behind and he wants them to be ready. But to be ready, they need to change their focus. They need to focus just on what God is calling them to do and to be faithful disciples in a chaotic world. And this passage helps not only the disciples, but I believe it's meant for us too to help us understand how to maneuver this plane we're in, <laughs> in this crazy, chaotic world, so that we might live as faithful disciples. Pray with me. Lord, as we look at all the flashing lights and the alarms going off, it, it can be a scary world in which you've placed us. But thank you that the scriptures speak directly to our situation. And thank you that you have a plan for us, Lord. May we not give way to fear, but may your word today inspire faith in us that we might endure to the end and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just kind of remind you of the context. 
Three weeks ago, Rod taught on the end of chapter 12. And remember, they're in the temple and this temple is a magnificent temple. And the people are coming and they're pouring money, their offerings in. And the rich people are pouring bags of coins into these trumpet-like openings in, in these tithing boxes. And Jesus says, don't be impressed. You know, don't be impressed by the flash and the show and the bigness of it. You know who really is impressive with this little widow who brought in two little mites, the widow's mite, and dropped it in. He said, that's who you should be impressed with because she gave all she had. Well, immediately into chapter 13, they're in that same temple. They begin walking out from that scene they just saw. And the disciples immediately say, wow, hey, Jesus, isn't this incredible, this temple? It's kind of like they weren't listening, right? (laughs) But I think it is important to understand how impressive this temple was. I want to show you a couple pictures just to give you a highlight of it. This is um, over here is Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. But Solomon had built this. And actually, it was a pretty spectacular temple. It was one of the wonders of those days, 1000 B.C. But look at it compared to Herod's temple. Herod had started this some 40 years before, and it had been continued to be built and expanded upon. It was um, gorgeous. It was ornate. It was beautiful, and it was covering a huge area. You can see this is the footprint for it, and here's a football field. So it fill about four football fields, just the footprint of it. It was filled with gold and beautiful silver and all kinds of wonderful things. And so the disciples are walking out of the temple and they're saying, wow, Jesus, isn't this impressive? So Jesus decides this to use this for a teachable moment, right? And he says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now, some of these stones were 40 to 60 feet long. 12 feet tall, 20 feet wide. They were huge stones. And he says, not one will be left upon another. Then, as they continue on, the disciples, I think, are blown away by this. You got to remember their perspective. The disciples had this perspective that Jesus was Messiah. They'd come to that knowledge that finally got it, right? But they still had this idea that Jesus would come and reign as Messiah over this temple and over Israel. And he'd throw out the Romans and the temple would continue to be the place where people would come worship. They didn't see beyond that. And so Jesus now takes them across the Kidron Valley, past the Garden of Gethsemane and up on the other side to the Mount of Olives for a view of the temple. Now, As you look at this picture, you can see the Dome of the Rock, which is the Muslim building here on the temple site. But imagine a much larger temple than this building there on that site as Jesus sits with his disciples on the Mount of Olives looking over the city of Jerusalem. And they're looking at that place and that temple and, he's, and the disciples say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? You see, they are blown away. Jesus has shaken their world and they're thinking, okay, we need to be prepared. If this is going to happen, if this temple is going to be destroyed, we need to be ready. I want you to note something here. This is how it looks today. Just note 
that 2,000 years later, even though there's now a Jewish state, Jesus has still not allowed that temple to be rebuilt. The Dome of the Rock is still there. I think that's very significant as we continue in this passage and continue this story. So remember this picture. It was an impressive view. But Jesus is shaking up the world of the disciples. They want to know what's coming. Again, remember, their basic understanding is that Jesus will come as Messiah, rule over the temple, rule over the Jewish people, throw out the Romans. Life is going to be great. And now what Jesus has done is shaken their world and the lights are going off in the cockpit, right? And they're going, wait a minute, Jesus, this temple being destroyed? You've got to be kidding. So Jesus goes on to tell them, this is what you should expect and this is how you should respond. And this is your resource for what's coming. So that's our outline for today that we'll be looking at. Um, I want to note as we jump into this passage that there are three basic views of this passage among evangelicals. One view is that all the prophecies of this passage, the whole chapter, chapter 13, are to be fulfilled at the end of the age, just before Jesus returns. That's how I was taught when I first came to Christ. Or another view is that part of it, the first part refers to AD 70, the destruction of the temple. And then the last part's at the end of the age when Jesus is about to return. The third view is that all of this passage really most directly was fulfilled by AD 70, by the destruction of the temple, though it has implications and a greater fulfillment during our age and in the age to come. Uh, Let me just say that's the view that I follow, that this passage was fulfilled by AD 70, but it certainly applies to us and has implications for us. And in fact, we'll look at what those are. But I do believe that whichever interpretation you take, the application still is pretty similar. So we'll be looking at how to apply this to us. But I just want you to note, it's, I think as Jesus has in mind here, his teaching is for the disciples. He says, you. And in verse 30, he says, and this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Well, you can try to interpret that away, but the most clear interpretation of that is that he's talking about those guys right there, the disciples. Um, and there's other reasons why I think it, but Whatever your interpretation, I think you can follow the same application I'm emphasizing today because I think it's what Jesus is trying to teach us. So first, he says, what's coming? What should we expect in the ensuing days in our lives? Well, first, verse 5 and 6, he says, you can expect false prophets, false teachers, false Christs. Let me read that again. And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am. And I know your your translation probably says, I am he. But I think it's important to recognize that actually in the Greek, it's just I am. Recognize that term from the Old Testament, right? Exodus, when Moses asks, well, who shall I say sent me? God said, I am Yahweh is the Hebrew for that. Ego eimi is the Greek for that. I am. So we'll get back to that in a moment. Many will come saying, I am, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars, okay, it goes on from there. So 
He says, many will come to claim to be Jesus or to speak for God. I am God or I am God's prophet. I am one who speaks for God that will mislead many. Obviously, if this applies and was fulfilled in those first years between when Jesus is speaking, A.D. 30 and A.D. 70, the destruction of the temple, a good question is, did that happen? Were there false Christs during those years? Well, there were. James Edwards, the commentator, says this. In the years preceding the Jewish revolt in A.D. 66, several messianic pretenders arose. In the mid-40s, Thudas, and he's described in Acts 5, verse 36, boasted of various signs, including the ability to part the Jordan River, that, according to Josephus, led many astray. Josephus adds another account about an Egyptian who claimed to be a prophet, who likewise succeeded in deceiving the populace. So there were several false Christs during that period. But I believe by application, we can say, yeah, but we can expect this too throughout the entire, entire church age, including our own age. There will be many who will come and claim to speak for God. They may claim to be Jesus, to be Messiah. And, we, you know, we've heard of kind of crazy people, but it's happened all through history. Think, for example, of Muhammad, the founder of Islam. He came and claimed that the angel Gabriel, over a number of years, gave him the recitation, the Quran, and he wrote down what the angel Gabriel said, which contradicts the scriptures. I believe that was a false Christ that has misled many. The Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, claimed that the angel Moroni, or if you read other accounts, he claims Jesus actually showed up, but claims that they gave him these golden tablets, which gave him the Book of Mormon, which again contradicts the scriptures, which have misled many and given them a false view of who Jesus is and where our salvation comes from. And there's been many, many others throughout history. And I, I'm always hesitant to criticize other pastors out there, but I just had to mention this. <laughs> Joel Osteen just came out with a book, The Power of I Am. And here's how the book was reviewed on his website. Greatness is just waiting for you. And by accepting that you are able to take it in, amazing things will happen. You just have to believe. You just have to use the power inside you that says, I am, in parentheses, I am strong enough, smart enough, and accomplished enough to obtain the wonders that life can bestow upon me. Brothers and sisters, that's heresy. Do not follow false teachers like Joel Osteen. You know, when Jesus said, I am, what happened to him? He was crucified. We should be hesitant to take that on ourselves. <laughs> Science, psychology, others claim to be the I am, at least the answer, so we don't need God anymore. And many of these things have elements of truth, but they don't speak for God. These are false prophets, false Christs. Jesus says, don't be misled. Don't follow them. We have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, and we need not go beyond those. So Jesus says, expect a lot of lies in our culture about what God says and about what Jesus is all about.
Expect that. Secondly, he says, expect worldly chaos, verse 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. These things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Worldly chaos, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, battles, conflicts between men, earthquakes, famines, natural disasters. Jesus says, you'll be living disciples in a world of upheaval. Did these things happen between A.D. 30 and A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed? Well, yes, they did. Let me read James Edwards again. The litany of woes in these verses could summarize every age, perhaps. But they fit the first generation of Christians particularly well. There were fears of war in AD 40 when the emperor Caligula attempted to erect a statue to himself in the temple of Jerusalem. 25 years later, total war broke out in AD 66 with the zealot revolt that plunged Palestine into a catastrophic defeat by Rome. There were famines during the reign of the emperor Claudius, who reigned from 41 to 54. Earthquakes struck Phrygia in AD 61 and leveled Pompeii in AD 63. We could go on and on, but I'm just saying these were fulfilled in those intervening years before the temple was destroyed. But certainly they've been part of life ever since as well, haven't they? Wars, rumors of wars. Brian Orlovich, who works with Young Life, was sitting in first service and he said, I got a, a, a text right after first service, and he said it was a friend of his in Armenia who said, uh, it looks like Armenia is going to war. We just found this out today. There's wars and rumors of wars throughout the world. There's earthly chaos. And Jesus says, don't expect things to go well. Understand your life is going to be tainted by this. You can't get away from it. This is the reality of life. Don't expect things to go well. But notice what he says. These things are the beginning of birth pangs, just the beginning of birth pangs. There's more coming. What I have to ask the question, you know, as I think about that, well, what is Jesus thinking about giving birth? What what is he thinking about with these disciples that are right in front of him who are going to face all this? Well, I believe he has in mind the destruction of the temple, and the birth of the church. Because who's the new temple? The church. We are, right? Christ lives in us now. He doesn't live in a building. God doesn't live in a building on earth. He doesn't live in this building. He dwells in us now. And Jesus had to destroy the temple to begin the new birth of the new church, of the new life, of the temple being us, not a physical place that we look to. And that began in the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So expect false Christ, expect worldly chaos. That's going to happen right up to the end. And also, thirdly, expect persecution. Verse 9 and following, he talks about this. He says, be on your guard. You're going to be brought before kings and governors and rulers, both secular governors and rulers and religious leaders. You will be betrayed by your own family, brother versus brother, child, parent, parent to child. This is going to happen to you, disciples. And as you read these verses, 
You know what it reminds me of? This is a commentary, essentially, or the prophecies of what happened in the book of Acts that these disciples experienced, right? They were brought before kings and governors and and they brought the gospel to them. And so we should expect that they had to go through that. It was fulfilled in them in their age, but it's also been fulfilled in the church age ever since. There had been persecutions and rejection from the world around us. So Jesus says in the end, he says, you will be hated by all because of my name. We should expect persecution. Now, let me just say, those of us in this room, by and large, not all, some of you have come from other nations, but by and large, we have experienced very little persecution, haven't we? We've lived in this sort of glitch in the world. I, I, one way of describing it is that, you know, the main show has been going on and we've been living in this little pleasant commercial. <laughs> That's a 30 second shot in the whole course of history where it's nice and comfortable and great and we're liking it, but we're getting back to the main show. And the main show is exactly what we're talking about here. The world will get more antagonistic to our faith because that is the norm. And Jesus says, that's what we should expect. Now, let me make a comment just for clarification of verse 10. It says the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Now, that's been taken as, okay, Jesus can't really come back until the gospel goes to every people group out there. Now, I think that's we should be motivated to take the gospel everywhere. But if this truly was fulfilled in those first years, then how can this be true? Well, all I know is what Paul says at the end of the book of Romans, verse chapter 16, where he says, Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested by the scriptures and the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God. He's just saying the gospel was hidden and now it's come forth. And isn't it exciting? And he says this about it. It's come forth according to the commandment of the eternal God. And it has been made known to all the nations. Now, I understand the gospel hadn't gone to every people group in the world at that point. But Paul's perspective is that the gospel had by his day gone to all at least the major nations. So I do think this verse was initially fulfilled even during the period of the book of Acts. All the major nations. But there's so many people groups that need to hear the gospel and we should be motivated to take the gospel to every people group because that's our calling to speak forth. And we'll get to that in a moment. Overall, what we need to see is this. This, what Jesus is describing here, is the normal Christian life. False prophets, worldly chaos, and persecution for our faith. The lights are going off, right? Isn't this kind of overwhelming? (laughs) I mean, what do we do? How do we land this thing? How do we finish well then in this kind of world if that's what we're going to experience in an increasing measure? What are we to focus on? Well, as I thought about that for this passage, I noticed there are five commands that Jesus gives to the disciples. And I think those commands really help us see how to fly this Cessna and bring it home. Those five commands began, the first one is in verses 5 and 9. The first two, they're the same command, so I want to repeat it. 
Verse 5 says this, see to it that no one misleads you. Or another translation would be, watch out that no one misleads you. Verse 9, but be on your guard. Same essential phrase, watch out. Because you're going to face persecution. So watch out. Be careful. Look out for false prophets for, and stay faithful to God in persecution. In other words, don't be taken in. Don't be misled. Realize there will be attacks from outside of you. And just watch out and don't be taken in. As the lights are going off, it's tempting to go, wow, I just want to follow somebody who has all the answers. I want to find somebody who's telling me how to make life work. And, and so we follow all these teachers, false teachers that tell us that life's going to go well. And here's how you can have your wonderful life now and all those things. And he's saying, don't be misled. Don't don't buy into that. Watch out for that kind of stuff. Second or the third command. Those are two. Third command is in verse seven. Don't be frightened when you hear wars and rumors of wars. Do not be frightened. Don't be afraid. Don't give way to fear. Yes, I understand life will look scary and it feels overwhelming when all the lights are going off and it seems like the world's falling apart. But he says, don't give way to fear. Jesus is on the throne. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. He is Lord. It doesn't matter what's happening out there. He is still on his throne. He is still Lord and he still loves you and he will walk you through this. We don't have to be afraid Because God is working out his will. I understand it's terrifying. We all have this sense of, yeah, yeah, but what if blank gets elected? (laughs) Fill in the blank. Scary, right? (laughs) But Jesus knows that. And he's saying, don't be afraid. God's bigger than all that. He raises up kings. He takes them away. He moves the heart of the king like channels of water. Proverbs 21, 1. He's in control. He knows what he's doing, and we don't have to be afraid. So he says, don't give way to fear, because fear will drive you to do the wrong things and to trust in the wrong things. So guard yourself. Don't give way to fear. Related to that, verse 11, don't worry beforehand. When they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand about what you're to say. Don't give way to worry. Don't try to plan ahead and figure it all out. And, oh, no, if this happens, I'll do, you know, don't try to figure all those things out. Don't give way to worry. Don't let worry destroy your dependence on God. Stay close to him. And it says he'll give you what you need at that moment. He'll give you the words to say. He'll give you what you need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther was this monk who stood before a tribunal, before a corrupt Catholic church and said, here I stand, I can do no other. Those words kicked off the Reformation that we have inherited and changed the Catholic church for the better and changed the Protestant church, actually began the Protestant church God gave him what he needed to say at that point. Don't worry beforehand, but depend on him. And if you're depending on him, he'll give you what you need at that moment. And the final command in that same verse, verse 11, say or speak whatever is given you in that hour. Keep speaking. And I would expand this to say, 
not just speak, but live out the gospel. Speak the gospel, live out the gospel. Let the gospel be who you are in your words and in your deeds. You see, that's where we're called to. Just don't get caught up in all the stuff going out there and all the flashing lights and all the chaos. And, oh, no, we've got to fix this and we've got to change this and we've got to fix the government. We've got, we got to make sure so-and-so gets elected. You know, don't worry about all that. Don't be caught up in fear. But instead, keep living out the gospel. Keep speaking truth. Speak what God's given you to say. Share the gospel. Don't stay quiet. Watch out you don't get taken in. Don't give way to worry or fear, but trust Jesus and speak and live out whatever God gives you to live out as a life of love. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at this and I go, well, that's a lot to do. How do I do that? I don't have the strength to live that out in this crazy world. And Jesus knows that. That's why he's given us his greatest resource, which is himself, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say at that moment. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. You've been given God's very life in you to depend on. You are not facing a lying, chaotic, persecuting world alone. Not only is he with you, but he is in you to empower you. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the new covenant we proclaim is that you can expect him to live through you and empower you. So when you say, I don't know what to do, Lord, love this person through me. Lord, give me the words to say you speak through me. And as you depend on him, he will do that. We've got the greatest resource in the universe, the very life of God himself in us. That was Jesus's message to the disciples. But it's his message to us as well. You see, the disciples had three good years with Jesus, right? I mean, they faced a little bit of persecution, but it was kind of nice. It was a nice commercial. (laughs) But he's about to go to the cross and now begins the book of Acts. And we see in the book of Acts The Holy Spirit empowered them and did amazing things through them, but they experienced real persecution and chaos and a lot of difficulty. But they had the power of the Spirit in them. You see, for us, the lights are going off in the cockpit, aren't they? (laughs) And it's way beyond what we can fix. Life is changing. But Jesus says, don't be surprised. Okay? But focus on... What I'm calling you to focus on, which is simply continue to depend on the Holy Spirit in you. Depend on me. Trust me and keep speaking. Don't give way to fear. Don't be misled by people who say they have all the answers out there. But keep trusting me and following me and speaking forth the gospel and living out the gospel. You will face false teachers and worldly chaos and persecution from all sides. But don't give way to fear. Speak the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because greater is he that is in you than he is that is in the world. And someday, if you just focus on that, fly in your Cessna, stay focused on what's important. You will land this thing. (laughs) You will be faithful to the end. God will get you where you need to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us words that we need for today. Even as there's wars and rumors of wars, even as there's chaos in our economy, even as there is more antagonism to our faith, 
we thank you that you've given us what we need to focus on, to depend on you and to fulfill the calling as faithful disciples. Lord, may we in this room not give way to fear, but may we be people who faithfully endure to the end by speaking and living out the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.